Well, hello, church, and happy summer. We don't get to say that for much longer. I can tell that the summer is almost over. Let's see why. Kids go back to school tomorrow. That's hurting my family. Uh, let's see. We had the launch of kids ministry yesterday. I hope a bunch of you came out for that. It was an awesome day. Student ministry launches tonight with a big party hoop do at 6:30 tonight. Choir comes back from summer break. Choir rehearsals start up soon. So get signed up for that. If you want information about that, talk to Mike. We'd love to have you join our choir. So the fall is gearing up fast, but the summer isn't over yet. I know that because I, I got my worst sunburn of the year yesterday at Rome Mountain because it was so cool I didn't think about it being sunny, and it was, and so I have a sunburn today. But anyway, so we're still in the summer, which means we're still in our series, Summer Cookout. Uh, the whole summer we've been talking about food verses, or last week, not food verses. We talked about fasting, and, and for the, we have two weeks left, and we're going to spend these two weeks talking about one meal. It's the meal that it's the center of Christian worship. Sometimes we call it communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. And if you're going to do something as often as we do, we share communion every single week, you need to make sure you know what it means and you understand it. And why is this meal so important to our worship? Uh, so we could do weeks and weeks on it. We're just going to take two and we're going to just unpack two central facets of the communion meal. Uh, to understand communion, you, you really have to start in ancient Egypt. God's people had gone to Egypt on really remarkably favorable circumstances. Joseph, he was one of Jacob's boys. He basically saved the whole nation of Egypt. And out of gratitude, they invited Joseph and all his family and kin and far relations to come and settle in Egypt. And they did, and things were wonderful. They had kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, great big families, and they grew as a nation until the day came that Joseph's work was forgotten. And the Egyptians looked around and saw this ever more numerous people among them and wondered what to do with them, and so they forced them into slavery. It was a brutal cruel world where all of a sudden they'd gone from being privileged guests of the kingdom to being the enslaved nation of Israel for 400 years. They cried out to God for rescue, but rescue was slow in coming, and when it did, it came on the ministry of a man named Moses. Moses had been a convicted murderer turned exile, sent back to Egypt by God with signs and wonders demanding that Pharaoh let the people go. He brought with him a series of ever-worsening plagues on the nation of Egypt to try to force Pharaoh's hand to let the enslaved Israelites go, but he would not Budge, Pharaoh's heart again and again was hardened against God's people. And then God did an unexpected work of salvation, an unforeseen work of rescue. As predicted by Moses and to the horror of the Pharaoh, one last great plague came upon them, the firstborn sons of people and animals died to force Pharaoh's hand to let God's people go. 
And God said that this work of salvation could not be forgotten. This work of rescue must be remembered. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly. And also hold one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That's all you may do. Celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. God says, you must remember the salvation of your people from Egypt and to make sure they remembered, God gave them a meal. The meal God gave them was called Passover. It was the climax of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It was an annual meal. It was celebrated in families, in town squares, celebrated in synagogues with worship services. The meal was filled with rituals and worship and song so that the saving work of God in the Exodus would never be forgotten. One of the things that's so remarkable to me is that God gave them the instructions for the remembrance feast before God had actually saved them. I love that. God told them how to remember God's saving work before God had even done the saving work. These instructions we just read from Exodus chapter 12 about how to remember the salvation, uh, they're before in Exodus 13 when it describes the salvation. In fact, if you read on in Exodus chapter 12 verse 21, we finally get the instructions for the saving work itself. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once. And select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood on the basin and put some of the blood on the top of your door and on the sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. He will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. Now look, God's already back to talking about the remembrance. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And so the people bowed and worshiped God. And then the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. This work of salvation created 
the people of God. And their remembrance of this salvation defined them as God's people. They talked about it all the time. Maybe you've heard about the Ten Commandments. Well, here's how the Ten Commandments start before they even get to any commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Before they even got to the commandments, they remembered that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they, they had a little story they were taught to teach to their children. Uh, then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous, but the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor, and then we cried out to the Lord, <coughs> the God of our ancestors. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. Again and again, the prophets and the teachers and the psalmists called them to remember that they were a saved people. And the center of this remembrance was the meal of Passover. And all of that is true about us too. The same thing is true of us. Our story starts in bondage. Slaves to sin and death, a slavery we cannot get out of on our own. Our story is met with a great and unexpected work of God's salvation, a work we are called to remember, and for that remembrance we are given a meal, and it is the celebration of that meal and the remembrance of our salvation that defines us as God's people. You see, every one of us have a story that begins in bondage to sin, and to death. I know this isn't a common notion in our culture, and, and, and many of us try to resist this, and we try to tell the beginnings of our story as a story of freedom and accomplishment and goodness, but that just isn't where our stories start. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, that's where your story starts. Your story starts with you dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul writes to the Roman church, he says this, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I've been sold into slavery to my own sin. I do not understand what I do. For, for what I want to do, well, I don't do that. But what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, well, then I agree that the law is good. As it is, I'm it's, it's no longer I myself who does it. It's sin living in me to which I am a slave. 
For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is good. Some of you know this verse so well. Some of you have lived this verse. You have the desire to do what is good, but you just don't do it. I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is the law that I find at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body? that is subject to death. This is where our story starts. In slavery to sin. In bondage to death. Every bit as real as the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. Every bit is beyond our power. Every bit is beyond our control. Every bit is outside the realm of anything we could solve with goodwill or good wishes. We are enslaved by sin. And consequently, we are bound for death. That's where our story starts. But just like their story, it was in that moment that God does an unexpected work of salvation. Here's how Paul continues Romans chapter 7. He just has asked this question, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he answers his own question, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Looking on in chapter 8, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God has now done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live now according to the flesh but according to the spirit. You see on that deadly day in Egypt the destroyer death moved across the land and only those covered by the blood of the lamb across their doorposts were saved from death's consequences and Paul says the same is true now the destroyer death comes for all people for all our slaves to sin but in Christ the blood that covers us can protect all people from the destroyer that is to come He goes on. He says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, well then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit 
who lives in you. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, this is, we who, who once were slaves are now God's children. Verse 17 says, if we are now God's children, then we are heirs. We have an inheritance, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, we will one day share in his glory. And Romans chapter 8 concludes with this fantastic promise. In everything, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We were once slaves to sin and death, a bondage so real we cannot get out, a bondage so permanent there is no escape until Christ said, let me cover you in the blood and you will be free from your slavery and you will be freed from death. And this great work of salvation must be remembered. It is easy to forget. I know it shouldn't be easy to forget, but it is. So many people want to say, I'm not sure you ever were a slave to sin, bound for death. So many people want to say, I'm not really sure that God can accomplish what you cannot. So many people want to say, you might need to work a little harder to become a better person. We need to work to remember that we are a saved people. That's who we are. We are not a good people. We are not a particularly impressive people. We are not a particularly important people or put together people. We are certainly not especially righteous people. But we are, through Jesus Christ, a saved people. So just as God did for the Israelites, God has given us a meal so that we would never forget our salvation. This meal of remembrance is at the center of our worship. It's a meal we share every single week as the church has done since those very foundations. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, for what I received from the Lord I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is our remembering feast not every year but every week we break bread to remember Christ's broken body we drink juice to remember Christ's shed blood this simple but sacred meal connects us to the historical events of our salvation and it reminds us that we are a saved and interestingly, just like with the Passover, God 
gave us the instructions for this salvation remembering meal before the work of salvation it was designed to remember. That's just so fascinating to me. Both in the Passover and with communion, it wasn't like after the fact the church said, you know, we better not forget that whole Jesus and the cross thing. That was a big deal. We should remember this. Let's do like a meal or something. No, no. It was before the work of salvation that Jesus says, you cannot forget what I'm about to do. And so I'm going to give you this meal so that you remember and never forget and always proclaim what's about to happen. We find the story in each of the Gospels. We'll look just a little bit at the story from Matthew chapter 26. Verse 17 says, On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread. Do you recognize that name? The festival of the unleavened bread? Wasn't that the, the feast that God had taught them to do to remember the great saving work of the Exodus? Wasn't that the thing they'd been taught to do to remember how God saved them and made them a people in the first place through the, through the almighty work of God's saving hand? On the first day of the festival, the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now remember, it's, it's the festival of the unleavened bread. They aren't allowed to do much. In fact, if you recall, the only thing they're allowed to do this whole week is cook food and throw parties. You remember that? By the way, that's a seriously good religious holiday. We need one of those where there's a whole week where the only thing you're allowed to do is cook food and throw parties. So if somebody could start one of those, I'd appreciate that. Okay. Anyways, they ask him, where do you want us to eat the Passover the Passover, the meal designed to remember how the blood of the lamb protected God's people from death. That's the meal they're going to eat together. He says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. And every time you see the word Passover, you remember, they prepared the remembrance feast for that time when the slaves were saved by God's righteous intervention that rescued them who were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus said, you have said it. While they were eating, remember, while they were eating the Passover, a meal that was already remembering the saving work of God, Jesus took bread, 
bread that already had a meaning. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat this bread, which for years has represented the past saving work of God. Now it represents my body. And then he took the cup, which, which, when, he, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. For years, that cup had represented the blood of the lamb put across the doorpost to save them from the destroyer death. And now Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. And then they sung a hymn as they would have at every Passover, a hymn remembering the saving work of their God, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. There's a ton to notice in this story, so much more than we have time to notice. We already noticed how remarkable it is that the feast of remembrance is given before the act it is designed to remember. Before the work of salvation, Christ says, you can never forget what I'm about to do. So I'm going to give you this meal. The other thing we notice is that the roots of the communion meal are inside of the Passover feast. Jesus, in the middle of a meal that already points to God's saving work for the people of Israel, announces that from now on it points to me and my saving work of all humanity. In the days of the rescue of Egypt, you see, it was the blood of a lamb, you remember, put across the doorpost that marked those who would be saved from death. And now, in the days of the rescue of Jesus Christ, it is the blood of Christ that is sufficient to save all creation. In Passover, God's people remembered their rescue from Egypt, but in communion, we remember the saving work of Christ, God, now sufficient to rescue all humanity itself. To rescue us from our slavery to sin, because we can't get out on our own. And to rescue us from our bondage to death, for without Christ there is no other future. And it's this meal, as we share in it, that marks us as a saved people. We are Christ's people, remembering and proclaiming our salvation at Christ's table. And so today, as we do every week, we come to our time of communion. If you're one of the servers that's going to help us with that meal, you could go ahead and head to the back right now. We appreciate your help. In a moment, trays will be passed. The meal is so simple. It's just bread and juice. And everyone who is a follower of Christ is invited to the meal. To help focus our remembrance today, uh, a small team's going to come out and sing a song as we meditate. We don't always do that, but you'll like it. It'll help you. As we share in the meal, take your time. There's no rush. Take time to experience yourself as a saved person, okay? 
you might have come in today kind of beating yourself up because you're not as good a person as you wish you were. Or maybe a little hard on yourself because you're trying to be perfect and you keep messing up. Or you tell everybody you've got it figured out, but you know you don't. Would you just let all that go right now? And just in this meal, remember that you are a saved person, a rescued person, a bought back from sin and death person because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Take some time in this meal to look around at other people and remember that if they're in Christ, they too are a saved person. And maybe you could just drop the expectation that they would be perfect. And you could give them a break if they mess up some. Because God never said they were good. God just said they were saved. And maybe for just this moment in this meal, that would be enough to be rescued by a God who loves you. Today in this meal, we remember our bondage. Apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin and bound to die. Today in this meal, we remember Christ's work. It is now Christ's blood that protects us and redeems us and sets us free from our slavery so that in Christ, for the very first time, we can finally start becoming the people God made us to be. In this meal, we remember our freedom, that the shackles of sin and death have dropped from our hands, and now we can begin to truly live. In this meal, we remember who we are, a saved people, not a good people, certainly not a worthy people, but a saved people who are welcome at this table. Let's pray. Gracious God, teach us to remember and let us never forget your salvation. We thank you for this meal which you've given us, which helps us remember our bondage and sin and our destiny in death. Helps us remember the blood of Christ which frees us and the freedom in him that we now enjoy. As we share together today, we rejoice in the welcome of Jesus for all who would come to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.